There's a group of people that they get together at 9 o'clock in the morning uh, in the front little lobby area. Um, at 9 o'clock every morning just to pray. And we believe that the Lord speaks, that the Lord can give visions, can give thoughts, um, can speak right into our situation here, right into our, our world here this morning on this Sunday. And uh, Kay had a, a vision, um, a picture, whatever you want to call it. And uh, a group of people thought, you know what? Um, that resonates this morning. You know, I think we need to share that. So Kay's going to share what she saw and uh, what the group kind of felt it meant. Correct? Good. Okie dokie. Um, so this is a dream, sort of dream vision that I had first thing in the morning. Um, Holy Spirit will often speak to me in that space be before my brain gets busy with all the day-to-day -day stuff. So it's a really good time to ask Holy Spirit to speak to you, um, you know, if, if you want to hear from Him. And so this morning, um, I'm laying in bed and um, Holy Spirit showed me a picture of this big, huge field, ginormous field. And there's a man in the part of the field closest to me, and he has a plow. It's one of those like manual plows from like, I don't know, 150 years ago, and he's got a horse. And he's plowing back and forth across that field, and I'm kind of mesmerized by it. I'm looking at the curve of the blade and seeing how deeply it digs into the soil and is just turning it over. Um, but I'm also looking at this man and feeling a little sorry for him because it's a really big field and this is a lot of work and all he's got is a horse and a plow, right? And as I continue to watch, at the back of the field, I see a tractor come in and it's one of those huge tractors with one of those huge discs that's got like the big arms that come out and fold down. And I'm like, God, that thing's like 30, 40 feet wide. Boy, that's really going to tear up this field, right? And so I'm watching at the back of the field, the tractor go back and forth, and I realized, wait, that's not the same thing. That's a disc, and it's only going like that deep. Okay, to all the farmers here, I apologize, I probably got it wrong, right? But um, the disc is not completely turning the soil over. It's just digging in and kind of taking care of surface level stuff. It's not turning the soil over. And so I shared that this morning with the early morning prayer group, and we talked about it and prayed and discerned. And, um, you know, we're feeling like this is a continuation of our message from last week, and that the Lord is calling us to dig deep, to root out the sin, to really turn things over, turn things over to Holy Spirit, and not to stay on the surface, but to really go deep and, and dig everything up, particularly as it relates to sin. The other thing Holy Spirit revealed to me that was really helpful is that the man with a horse, the horse is the Holy Spirit. He's the strength, he's the power, and we follow and we cooperate with him, but it's not up to us to do all the really, really hard work. He's in it with us, and he's providing the empowerment. Thank you, Kay. I think that's such a good word. Um, I love the picture of the horse leading it, and we don't have to do that work. The Holy Spirit is leading. But the truth is, 
and Jesus even said this, like to the, to the crowds and to the people, like, you come to me and you worship with your, your, your lips and your, your mouth, but your hearts are far from me. And at the end of the day, what the Lord desires is our hearts. And I love that it's, this is kind of coming up in the middle as we're going through Acts, and, and we see these group of people going here, there, and everywhere and proclaiming the name of Jesus. And amazing things are happening. But I also think as we're doing that, the Lord says, hey, I also want to work on your heart at the same time. And if you didn't listen to Mike uh, sharing, who shared and taught last week, I thought it was such a great word uh, that he shared. Because it was in that difficult story about Ananias and Sapphira, and they come and they sell a field, um, which is ironic that the pictures of the field is pretty cool. Um, they sell a field and then they bring what they thought, what they, they uh, appeared to be the whole, all the money. But they held back, it says, they held back something for themselves. And then they lied to the Holy Spirit. And then boom, they both died uh, in church, I guess. You know, there's a picture there, which is quite a service. Um, but there's always this pull in our lives towards ourselves to keep things back for ourselves, to live for ourselves. And when, as far as Jesus, we're called to surrender all to him. And this week, um, someone asked me, like, how do you prepare a message? Um, what goes through your mind? And I just read the passage, and then I pay attention to things that, that pop out to me. And I'm like, okay, God, what are you saying to me there? What do you want to say to this group of people this week? And it was a, a phrase, and we'll get to it, it was a phrase that popped out that, that, again, continues to work on our heart and root up some stuff in our lives. And so that's why I appreciate uh, the group saying, hey, I think we need to share this this morning before uh, the message. And so I want to just have a, a time of uh, 30 seconds of silence, something around there. And I just want you to ask the Lord, ask the Holy Spirit to search your hearts, to soften your heart, to show you, is there anything in your heart that needs to be rooted up? Anything that needs to be let go of? And I think another word that was shared in that group was even the smallest little thing, the smallest little sin, you think like, oh, that's not a big deal. No, it is a big deal. The smallest thing separates. And so even if it's like, eh, this is okay in my life because it's not really hurting that many people. No, the Lord wants to deal with that as well. And so open that up to the Lord uh, this morning. And he is so good. He's so loving. The reason that he wants to do this is so that we can live free, so that we can fully, freely follow him. All right, so let's take a couple seconds and just ask the Holy Spirit to search our hearts and to, to work on our hearts. Father, thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Thank you that we're never alone. Thank you for the gift that convicts our hearts, that reveals truth, that reveals Jesus. Thank you for the loving way that you do that. I do ask and pray that you would root out any 
anything that is in our lives, in our hearts, like those deep hearts, anything that is not of you. Pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm not calling you. You did do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we were praying. I saw that the, the picture of a horse. And you know on a horse plowing a field, it has those blinders, right? That keeps them focused. And I, and I think like in our lives, you know, it says in Hebrews, picturize in Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. For the joy set before him went to the cross, enduring his shame. And I think that is such a, a huge picture for us as people is because there's this, this horse and, and you don't want the horse to be going to the left or to the right and moving all around because it'll bring the cart over here and over there and over here and it'll look all crazy. And I think that is, is, is something that the Lord wants to, to, to reveal to us this morning is like, where are you looking? What are you focusing on? Are you having those blinders on the side of your head saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix my eyes on Jesus? Because in all honesty, it can be so easy to look around at other people's lives. Look around and say like, oh, that is going well over there for them. Or, oh, that's not going so well for them over there. Or compare your life to their life and want to have what somebody else has. And, and the beauty of it is that, that, that Jesus has called you to follow him. It's for you to seek him, for you to live wholeheartedly for him and not compare yourselves to others. But keep your eyes fixed on him. And this week I was, was brought back to uh, kind of a funny little thing uh, growing up. And growing up I had this, um, this gaming system up on the screen. Anybody know what that is? Yeah, Atari. What is it? Atari. Do you, does anybody remember the number? 2600. Thanks, Kevin. Nerd. Atari 2600. And I remember getting this thing and putting these cartridges in and you had to hook it up to this little box that hooked up to the TV and uh, played games for, for hours. Games like Pitfall, um, where you just jumped over this creek and, and uh, Pac-Man. Um, that was amazing. Uh, Donkey Kong. What's that? Pong. That's a ball thing, right? Yeah. Frogger. Pole position. That was a good game. You know, amazing game. So amazing games. I really like Space Invaders. That's a good one, too. I really love, my favorite game was baseball. And here's a picture of what it looked like. I mean, those graphics are amazing. Like, here's the, here's the ball right there. Like, the ball is a square. And, and I remember you could, like, throw a huge old curveball, like, around. It was, it was crazy. It was, um, and that was, like, my favorite game. I played it all the time. And frankly, I thought I was pretty good because I could turn a triple play in that thing. Um, you know, and the, and the joysticks was just the joystick and one button. It was simple. It was so cool. I spent hours playing this game until my friend Steve got this. Do, do, do. Uh, Nintendo gaming system. I mean, you went from one joystick to a little pad with two buttons. And baseball on this thing all of a sudden started to look like a real game. I mean, there's real legit players there, a real legit ball. Like, that was, was so much more fun. And I remember looking at that, going back to my Atari 2600 and thinking, like, no, I'm, not, I'm done with that. You know, and something that had brought me so much joy all of a sudden was gone because I was comparing my gaming system to the gaming system of my friend Steve. 
And his new gaming system robbed me of the joy that I had playing the Atari 2600. Now, I know like a couple years ago, the Atari 2600 kind of made a comeback and retro games came back, but there was no going back once you went to that. Like, I was jealous over my friend's uh, video game and gaming system. And I think this can happen in life because we can, we can look and we can be filled with joy following the Lord and saying, you know what, this is the life that I have. And then we start to look around. And then all of a sudden, jealousy creeps in, and it robs us of our joy. Jealousy can be a huge thief in our lives. And I, I bring that up because it will smack us right in our face as we read this passage out of Acts chapter 5. Uh, out of the difficult part of Acts chapter 5, the beginning that Mike uh, did uh, so well with last week, uh, we'll move on to uh, some, some different stuff. And I really want um, to focus on the issue of jealousy and talk about that uh, this morning. Uh, Acts 5, uh, verse 12. We're going to read a couple verses in the chat and a couple more. Acts 5, it says this. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on pots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least a shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from towns in Jerusalem, around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. I'm going to stop there a second. Like, imagine that. Get that picture in your mind. I mean, people were being loved. People were coming from all over the place, the sick, the demonized, people who were alone. They were coming and they were being received, not rejected. They were being cared for. People were, were being saved. I mean, that's an amazing passage. It says, more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. As they proclaimed the hope that they had in Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, multitudes, thousands of men and women turned from, turned from uh, uh, their sin and put their faith in Jesus. And it says everyone who came, they all were healed. Those who were sick, those who had, had carried things around for a long part of their life, uh, they came and all, all of a sudden they were healed. Their life was transformed. And the demonized, those who were tormented by evil spirits, those who had opened up their lives to the demonic, all of a sudden were delivered and set free. I look at these verses, these, these four verses, and I'm like, this is a picture of the kingdom of God at work. This is what I long to see happen. This is what, what happens when, when we go out and we pray for people and, and, and proclaim the gospel that, uh, that those, those who hear are saved, the, the sick are healed. Amazing things happen. And I love that this is happening publicly. It says that it's happening in Solomon's portico. And, and here's a picture of the temple and what it, what it would have looked like. And Solomon's portico was just on the other side of this, this wall, the eastern wall, those colonnades. This, that's where they were, it was taking place, right in that little courtyard area. That's the temple over there in the middle. And I love that picture because it was taking place outside of the walls of the temple. Something happens as you go outside the walls of the temple. As, as believers, people go outside of the building and engage in the community. You see lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit work in powerful ways. And that's why I'm so excited to be partnering here with the bridge and being out there on Mondays and handing out food to people. Because 300 families are going to come, uh, something like that, and they're going to come for food. But what they really need at the depths of their soul is Jesus. Food that will last forever. And so something happens as the church, as people get outside of the four walls. And lives 
were transformed. Now you would think, like you hear this and you read this, you would think like, oh, there's much joy in this city. There's much celebration. Everybody would have been happy. Everybody would have been ecstatic because lives were being touched. And people were being loved and cared for and delivered and healed. But we continue to read because all of a sudden there's opposition that rises up. It says, but the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they had heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the Holy Spirit came and those who were with them, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought out. But when the officers came, they did not find them in prison, so they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked, and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. When they had brought them, set them before the council, the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in his name, yet there you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed, by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, was held in high honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care of what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thoidas rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away people, some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men. And let them alone, for if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow it. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing. They were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. I mean, that's quite the story. I'm trying to get back to that. It's quite the story. You know, here was this amazing thing that had happened. And you would think that everybody would be happy and that there would be joy in the city. Like, who would be against being people being free? Who would be against like people being delivered? Who would be against people being healed? People putting their faith in Jesus? But all of a sudden, you hear, like, you know, pretty soon, it says, all of a sudden, they were filled with jealousy. The Sadducees, filled with jealousy. 
It's like here comes the, the hate train, this like group that is like so anti this, this movement of Jesus. And they go and they hear about this and they arrest Peter and the apostles and they throw them in public prison, which is that they, they would put them right in the city, right in the middle of the city where they would be publicly shamed, publicly mocked, publicly dishonored, and just like everybody would see the disgrace that they were. Then all of a sudden, it says, during the night, an angel came. An angel came and, and freed them, getting them out and, 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 and releasing them. And this is so funny. This is like the, the scripture is so hilarious because here the high priest was part of the Sadducees. And the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in the supernatural. But they specifically did not believe in angels. And I chuckle every time I read this because what did God use to set the apostles free? An angel. It's like, hey, Sadducees, you don't believe in these things. You don't believe in the supernatural. Let me prove you wrong. Let me send an angel to deliver these men from the prison. And so all of a sudden, so this miraculous thing happens. And they go and they check it out. The people who are, who are in this ruling group, they go and they check and they, they see if the, the apostles are there. And they're not there. They're out in the city. And they're, again, proclaiming the hope that they have found in Jesus. And what's funny is that these men are again arrested, brought in front of the ruling party. And they're a question. And what is the, the thing that they are frustrated with? What is the thing that the Sadducees are frustrated with? It says that they, next slide. In verse 28, it says, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And so these religious leaders who wouldn't even proclaim, you know, wouldn't even say or speak the name of Jesus. All of a sudden, they're saying to these men, they're like, you have filled this city with your teaching. Like, what an accusation to be had towards them. Like, they have filled the city with teaching. Like, I would love for people to say that about us. Love for the people to say, like, you know what? We might not agree with you. We may not, like, believe in what you believe. But you have filled this city with your teaching. Filled this city with the message of Jesus Christ. And that is what they are, are blamed as doing. Like, you have filled this city with your teaching. You know, when I think about cities, when I think about the direction the world is going and the things that we accept now in our day, the sin that we accept, the future of cities in this world is brokenness and hurts. And disaster. The only hope though for cities is the message of Jesus in the name of Jesus. And we have to be out proclaiming. And so Peter and the apostles, they stand up, they hear this, they're blamed for filling the, the city with this teaching. And they say, you know what, you told us that we have to stop talking about Jesus. And they keep mentioning Jesus over and over and over again. Like you told us to stop talking about Jesus, but you know what? We can't help but obey God. We're not going to obey you, we're going to obey God, and then all of a sudden these men become furious, boiling with anger. They want to kill them, but the people don't allow it. And so they're flogged, they're beaten, um, their, 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 their skin is whipped, and they're sent out. And it says they rejoiced because they suffered for the name of Jesus. And as I look at this story, I see actually two pictures of jealousy. Because in this story, in verse 17, it says that they were filled with jealousy. These Sadducees were filled with jealousy. Now, jealousy is wanting what somebody else has. But really, the picture here is, is all of a sudden, inside of them, there was this boiling frustration. There was this anger that was boiling up. The, the, the word actually means to boil. 
And you can kind of get this feeling like as they're, they're, they're hearing this and they're seeing this, they're boiling with jealousy, they're boiling with frustration because they're seeing a move of God that is outside of their control and outside of their power. And so these ruling leaders are like, you know what, nobody talked to us. We didn't vote on this happening. And all of a sudden it's happening. And I think they're filled with jealousy because it's outside of their control, outside of their power. And frankly, they would rather have it happen through them because at the end of the day, they are the religious leaders. And we can look at them and say, well, that's the religious leaders in the day that are filled with jealousy. And jealousy can happen outside. But I believe the Lord wants us to search our hearts. And what is the jealousy that is inside of us? What is boiling inside of us? What is, is the burning passion of our soul? Because I want to press on our hearts a little bit here this morning because jealousy will flat out rob us of joy. Jealousy will, will ruin our lives. And scripture says so much about jealousy. Romans 13, 13 says, Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual morality and sensuality. And you say, yes, but let's not walk in that. But then it says, not in quarreling, and jealousy. Paul, speaking to the church in Corinth, says, you know what? You're still walking in the flesh because there's jealousy and strife amongst you. Turn over to James chapter 3 because this speaks very clearly on the source of jealousy and what it produces. James chapter 3. It says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct let, conduct, let him show his works in meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But wisdom from above is pure. And peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Where does jealousy come from? I mean, this is so clear. Jealousy and selfish ambition, it says, is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. And what does it produce? It produces disorder in every vile practice. I think this is where we, why we have to search our hearts and say, okay, are we jealous? Are we living our lives for ourselves? Are we looking around saying, you know what? I want my life to look like that, or I want what another person has. Because when we're living this attitude, when we're living out of this jealousy and selfish ambition, what is happening in our hearts is really we're focusing our lives on ourselves. And I think, first of all, what happens is we have a misunderstanding of ourselves because we look around and we say, you know what, I want my life to look like this or to look like this person or to be like this. And it gets our eyes, sadly, off of the way that God has wired us, the way God has created us, the way that God has gifted us. This breaks my heart as people say, you know, I wish it was like that person or this person or that person. I'm like, no, you are uniquely created by the God of the universe. He formed you, he stitched you together in your mother's womb, and he put you together exactly how he wanted to put you together. He gave you gifts, he gave you abilities, he made you for a reason, and frankly, this world needs you to be you. You're the best version of you you can be. It's like, we need you with your gifts and abilities, and what happens is when we look to other people and say, you know what, I'm jealous about that person's life, I'm jealous of that person's life, it's really saying, you know what, I don't like how I was wired. And that breaks my heart because it's a messed up understanding of how we view ourselves. We have to view ourselves as fearfully and wonderfully made. 
But also what happens is we get a messed up view when we're jealous of who God is. Because if the Lord blesses Dan, and I'm like, you know what, Dan's blessed. I want what Dan has. You know what, and if I get jealous in my heart and frustrated at that, all of a sudden this perspective that I have of God is that he has limited resources. Because if he blesses Dan with something, then all of a sudden, well, Dan has what I deserve, and so God must be limited and he can't pour it out on me because he's already poured it out on Dan. And so when I think of jealousy, I'm like, we think that God is, is limited because we're frustrated because he's done something in somebody else's life, and we're like, what about us? What about me? I deserve this or that. And jealousy, so jealousy ruins our relationship with others and our relationship with God because we get frustrated and say, God, why haven't you done this in my life or that in my life? And we forget at the end of the day what we deserve utmost is death and separation from God because of our sin. And so jealousy flat out ruins relationships, ruins our lives, grows in frustration deep inside of us, and it robs us of our joy. And so how do we cure this jealousy in our hearts? You can see that these guys in Acts chapter 5 are not a delight to be around. I mean, they're filled with jealousy and they're raging with anger and they want to wipe these people out because they want what these people have. So how do you cure jealousy? First of all, you're confident in who God has made you to be. You're confident in the gifts and the abilities. You're content with the life that he has given you. And you celebrate all the different ways that God is working. But jealousy, unchecked jealousy, is this fuel, this burning desire in our hearts that life is all about us. But I would argue, I would argue, that there's another picture of jealousy in this passage. Because jealousy is this burning desire, this boiling desire, this, this rumbling passion deep in our, our soul, this burning desire for something or someone. And here in this passage, we see that in the apostles' life, there was this jealousy. This jealousy, frankly, that led to obedience, this, this burning desire, this passion in their soul, and it was all for the glory and for the name of Jesus. They were not living for themselves. They didn't care, they didn't care much about their life. They didn't count their life of any value. It was all to proclaim the goodness and the hope of Jesus. Look what happened when they were, were free. They were freed by the angel, and they were told, go out and proclaim Jesus again. What does it say? When did they do that? It says at daybreak they did that. Right away they did that. It was immediate obedience. They went away right away. Even though they were strictly charged not to teach, they, they talk about Jesus. They say, we can't help but obey God. We have to obey him. And after being beaten, they were rejoiced. And every day, wherever they went, they constantly talked about Jesus. To me, that represents this burning desire in their hearts that they wanted to live wholeheartedly for him. And so this morning I asked us in our hearts, who or what are you jealous for? Who or what are you jealous for? Or frankly, like, what is the burning desire in your soul? What makes you boil? What makes you, like, be filled with passion? You know, every day you and I have this opportunity to proclaim Jesus. But I think what happens to happen is we have to get our eyes off of ourselves, off of worrying about our lives, and focus on, you know what, this is who God has created me to be, this is where he has sent me, and he has given me a message, and it's the message of Jesus. I love that Gamaliel pops up, and he says, you know what, guys? You know, be careful what you're doing here, because there's been people who have come up and then gathered a following, but then they die, and people are dispersed. 
And he says, just be careful. This is of God. You just might find yourself fighting against God. And every time I read this, I think about, you know what? Are we living our lives doing things that will last? Participating in things that will have an eternal impact? Because at the end of the day, the Atari 2600 or the Nintendo gaming system is here today and not tomorrow. I mean, there's PlayStation 10, there's or Xbox, there's like all of these different things. And you might think like, okay, that's the amazing thing, but in 20 years, those will be gone. In 100 years, frankly, nobody's gonna be talking about us. They might remember us as a you know, grandpa or whatever, but you know what, we're here for just a moment. But the person that they will be talking about is Jesus. The person who will be talked about forever and ever and ever is Jesus. And so we have such a privilege, such an opportunity, such a joy to live our lives every day for him, being jealous for him, surrendering all to him. And so I encourage us, challenge us, stop looking to the left and to the right, have our hearts soft, focused on the Lord, understanding where he has sent us, being bold in our message, being bold to pray, bold to step outside of our comfort zone and proclaim the hope that we have in Jesus. One picture of jealousy, Frankly, is a focus on ourselves and leads to death, like we see in the Sadducees and in those uh, religious rulers. The other one is a jealousy that has a burning passion for Jesus that leads to life. We have a choice every day. How are we going to live? Who are we going to surrender our lives to? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I continue to ask that you would do that work in our hearts. That you would root out jealousy. That you would root out selfish ambition. That you would, through your power, Holy Spirit, that you would give us the supernatural ability to fix our eyes firmly on you, Jesus. Pray that we wouldn't look to the left or to the right, that we would clearly pay attention to your voice and your voice alone. surrender to you because Jesus at the end of the day you gave it all for us and the truth is that we no longer live but that you live deep inside of us and so I pray that a boldness that a courage that a strength would rise up inside of us that we would live not for ourselves but for you the one who gave all and so root out anything of the flesh root out anything that doesn't belong to you pray for fresh surrender surrender today to you, Jesus. It's all for your glory. Jesus. I want you to stand up right now. And um, what I want to do is, you know, those who are willing to pray for people, I would love for you to go over on this, my right or left, and just be willing to pray for people. And um, that word fresh, fresh surrender just keeps coming up. If you would like, you know, in your life, just a deeper surrender to the Lord, I would love uh, for people to pray for you for that. A deeper
her uh, wholehearted abandon to him, to root out any fleshly desires, anything that doesn't belong to the Lord. So, what prayer team's over there on my right or left? Let's continue to worship and pray.